0: Okay, so hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. I haven't done this in a while, so feeling a bit rusty. Um, but I'm well, I'm just picking up today's passage. Uh, I'm following this Bible plan and that's what the Daily Bible Reading show is about. I just do my devotionals and I share some insights into whatever I'm looking at uh for today. Uh, let's see today's Wednesday, December the 22nd. And the first reading is Second Chronicles chapter 26. So let's look at that. Uh, okay. all right what do I do? What do I do? Uh should I just read the passage? Yeah, I'll read the passage. Oh, okay. I've got Sorry, I've got. Oh, okay. Someone at the door. Okay. Sorry, that was a delivery uh, Mouthwash and I think shampoo from Amazon Okay, alright, so uh, we're looking at Second Chronicles chapter 26 and, and that's how you know that this is life and No one's watching and it's kind of random But yeah, okay, I, I might just delete this at the end, but this is a good practice. So I am going to look at today's passage from second Chronicles. I should, I should pray. So I'm going to do that right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, it is just a sign of new grace every day that you speak to us. Uh, but also we pray that we will hear, uh, we will, um, just listen to you speaking to us in your word every day. I think there's a kind of dependence that we need to learn from um, daily listening. Uh, Thank you so much that it refreshes us, it directs us, it guides us in our paths. And Lord, give us hearts that will be obedient to it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. so in my uh, heading, uh, in my English standard version. Uh, it's not part of the Bible, but it's often helpful. It says here Uzziah reigns in Judah. And I guess uh, Chronicles is, um, what, what, what's Chronicles? How, how, do, how do I describe the book of Chronicles? It's the last book in the Hebrew canon in the Bible Uh, you know, the Hebrew Bible has all these different books and it comes at the very end because it looks back at the kingdom of Israel. And so it's giving you a perspective as to how they got to where they are uh, through the different kings who led the country. But also it gives you a perspective as to how God um, is shaping the nation uh, under these kings, Most of them are bad, but he still uses them to shape the nation into one that constantly comes back to him during times of trouble and gives him praise during times of blessing. And so because of that, uh, this kind of a historical document, this book of Chronicles, gives you a kind of like a rosy picture of the monarchy in Israel. So it, it gives you, it takes out kind of like, takes out all the bad bits of the history and it puts in all the highlights of the kings of Israel. And so there's a line running through the, in the entire book. There, there's part one and part two, before all these movies which had, had sequels, You we had one and two chronicles, um, uh, which kind of like retells the story of these kings um, that showcase how god displays his faithfulness his goodness his rightness in ruling over the nation through these kings and uh it's it's worth just worth comparing say 2 chronicles with 2 kings for instance so kings uh is a very similar book but it's written much much earlier but leaves in all um the blemishes uh yeah does that make sense? Um, so uh, Second Chronicles try tries to paint kind of like um, a very rosy picture of history, told from maybe uh, if you have like an uncle uh, in church. What's that sound? Oh wow! Oh, they're they're cleaning the windows outside. <laughs> so cool. I was wondering what that sound was. Oh, that's so cool. They're cleaning the windows. Ah. Oh uh, well. Um, you probably can't hear it, but I can hear it. Uh, but yeah, it gives a very rosy picture. What was I talking about? Um, yeah, if you have like an uncle who is often looking back uh, at, the, um, uh, I don't know, say an uncle in church who's always saying that back in my day, you know, things were so much better back in my day. We had this pastor who was like everyone loved him, and uh, and you know he preached really well, and the church was doing really really well. And actually, actually, if you went back in time uh, and you actually met this pastor, you were actually there during this time of the church. Actually, it wasn't that that rosy, but some that recollection was often. Uh, much more uh, forgiving and much more um, uplifting than it really was. Well, that's kind of the book of Second Chronicles. And the reason it does this is so that we'll look forward to a much better fulfillment of God's blessings in the future. So you look back to the past and see all the good things that God did in the past, and it points forward to an even better future, to an even better king that God will... Uh, supplied to the kingdom uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not sure that makes sense. It's so random. <laughs> okay, all right. Anyway, uh, with that being said, let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 26. Okay, and all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old. He repeats that phrase, 16 years old, very young, when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a really, really long time. A lot of the kings... Um, didn't live that long. They were killed. <laughs> Some of them were killed by their own officials. They, they, they did evil. But this particular king already seems to be starting out very, very young. And um, just the indication of the length of his reign is probably a clue into how faithful or how effective he was. Okay, so verse 3, uh, his mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So good king. According to all that his father Amaziah had done, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So it sounds as if he had um, an advisor. Verse five, um, Zechariah instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And gave him this advice, as long as you see God, God will make you prosper. So again, remembering that he was 16 years old when he ascended the throne, a teenager, essentially. You know, Zechariah, I think was his uncle, uh, gave him really, really good advice. What should you do as a teenager who is the most powerful person in the whole land? You should see God. And that's a very wise and very godly uncle to have um, at the very start of your career. And I guess that's what he did. He saw God and God rewarded him with a long reign and probably with a prosperous reign. Let's continue on verse 6. Uh, he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabne and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities and the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Wow. Okay. So um, he actually fought against their enemies. The Philistines were longtime enemies. Uh, I think they were coastal people. And so uh, he was able to even attack their city. He broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Japhne and the wall of Ashdod. So all these cities, he actually invaded them and actually he he broke them, he conquered them. And then he built cities in their in, their, in enemy territory, in the cities of territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. That's very boss of him to do, you know, to, to showcase his military might. You know, conquering the enemy is one thing being able to break into their strongholds is another thing, but then actually building cities <laughs> in, their, um, in their enemy territory. Verse seven, God helped them against the Philistines. There you go. And against the Arabians who lived in Gurbal, and against the Maonites. I have no idea who they are. Verse 8, the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very, very strong. So all the way down south. So he was very famous, uh, very influential. All these other superpowers came and paid tribute to him, honored him. And he was known even down to Egypt, which was another superpower. Verse 9, Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands for he loved the soil. Uh, that's uh, really interesting description, very heartfelt. He loved the soil. He was a very agricultural person, uh, gardener, if you like. Um, and because of that, he uh, he had it says here he had farmers and vine dressers. That means he maybe encouraged people to work the soil. He encouraged uh, people to grow um, food and and grapes. And uh, he, he really wanted to see the land prosper. Uh, you know, He wanted his garden to be full. He wanted there to be uh, lots of food to feed the people. And he also built um, lots of infrastructure, I guess, verse 10, built towers here and there in cisterns. So um, you could see... Um, in terms of just the lay of the land you know under his rule the longer he ruled you know people were eating better they had work um, the country changed Uh, there was just more cities and it looked impressive and so this is a very very successful king verse 11 moreover uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war In divisions, according to the number, in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Maaseah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders, the whole number of the heads of father's houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the army. I guess this is meant to highlight just how large his military was. So 2,600, uh, mighty men of valor, but uh, the total number of the army was 307,000. So he could essentially fight anyone, fight off any threat. Uh, probably felt secure living in this country with this powerful military force. So you had commanders, you had You know, men of valor, so his secret forces, I guess, uh, special forces. But then he also had a huge, huge army. Uh, Verse 14, and Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, uh, helmets, coats of mail, bows and stones for slinging. So they were well equipped. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. Actually, I was just watching Hawkeye this morning. The last episode is really, really good. Uh, but the idea of this these archers means they could spot the enemy from afar. They could defend it from afar. And so it was, I guess, a sign of... Uh, protection again of technology in military uh, use. Uh, these skillful men were put on top towers and were able to uh, fend off any attack from afar with arrows and stones. And his fame spread far before he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So, part one, you know, Uzziah, a good king, very effective king who really changed everything about the country. He built cities, he conquered enemies, he defended the borders. Um, he had a strong military might, You know, he provided them with all the latest equipment, uh, but also he encouraged agriculture. He says there he loved the soil, he loved the land, he loved seeing things grow. So the, at the heart of this king was this gardener, who understands what it means to cultivate growth, cultivate people to provide for them what they need. I think that's why it mentions like the cities for the agriculture and the shields for the army. Uh, the way in which it promoted growth was just by giving them, giving them what they need. You no, that that's the sign of a very good boss, very good manager. You know, it doesn't tell them you do this, you do that. But he provides for you everything you need so that when you grow, everyone grows together. There's a kind of wisdom. There's a kind of really faithfulness that we see in this king. And it goes back, I think, to the advice that his uncle gave him. You know, he himself seek, he, he set himself, sorry, to seek God in the days of Zechariah, his uncle who instructed him in the fear of God. So he, he sought, he, my purpose is to seek God because my uncle told me, as long as I seek God, God will make me prosper. So all this is the fruit of that seeking of God. This is a king who is faithful to God and therefore was fruitful in leading God's people. That's part one. Okay, part two, um, the heading that I have in my Bible is Uzziah's pride and punishment. So oops, not so good end. Verse 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense verse 17 but azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the lord who were men of valor and they withstood king uzziah and said to him it is not for you uzziah to burn incense to the lord but for the priests the sons of aaron who are consecrated to burn incense go out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong And it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So what's so bad about this? You know, the king wants to go to church to worship. What's so bad about that? But the priest say, you know, get out, get out, get out. This is not going to bring honor to God. And at the root of it was his pride. Verse 16, when he was strong, he grew proud. So he wanted to worship God, but he wanted to do it his way. He wanted to worship God, but he didn't want to be led into worship, if that makes sense. So here is this priest, Azariah, telling him, you can't be here. This is not your job. God has appointed someone else to do this aspect of worship, and you can't do this even though you're the king. And I guess there was something inside of him, that pride that said, hey, who are you talking to? You know, I am the king. I did all these amazing things. I love God. I'm faithful to God. Who are you to lead me into God's worship? Uh, So uh, what does he say? Verse 18, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests. So there was a kind of separation between the king and the priest. So the king was God's representative to the people, you know, God's rule, God's justice, God's blessing. But the priests were the people's representative to God. You know, God put the priests as a way of representing all the people in their worship and their offering and their prayers towards God. And God separated the two to show that... Um, Actually, what did he show? You know, well, I, well, on the one hand, both, uh, it shows access. It shows that this is the way in which you come into relationship with God. We submit to him under the king, but we also offer praises to him as our God. Uh, and But somehow Uzziah wanted to take on both of these offices on himself. Verse 19, then Uzziah was angry Now, he had a sensor in his hand. A sensor is like a a bowl, a metal bowl that you put in um, coals and something that has smell to it. And the idea is that you offer up the smoke and you swing this metal bowl in the temple and the smoke is meant to be representative of prayers and offerings that go up to God and God smells it and go, hmm, that smells good. And so Uzziah was carrying the censer. And this is obviously something that only the priest was supposed to carry, but he carried it himself because he was angry. And he says there, he carried it in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest's Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. So at that moment, as he was to, to bring worship, he was struck with this disease. And leprosy, um, or it says here in my footnotes, um, what does it say? Uh, a term for several skin diseases. So immediately there was something on his forehead, this this blemish or this kind of disease that infected him just right there at the altar to show that God had done this. And also leprosy, what it does in um, God's law was it makes you unclean. That means you're unworthy to come before God. If you had some kind of skin disease that was, visible, noticeable, or even if it was covered up, as long as it was on your skin, you were not allowed to uh, come before God's presence. And right there and there, God made him unclean. God was essentially saying to this king, get out of my presence. And and it was was during the time when he was feeling proud, feeling, feeling really angry with the priest, who are you to tell me not to do this, that God told him essentially the same thing. You know, you need to get out of my presence, which was quite shocking, I guess, for him. Verse 20, and Azariah, the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead and they rushed him out quickly and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And I think they did this because they were concerned for him, uh, you know, he was so angry with them, but I don't think they they ever went, ha, 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 here it is, you deserve this. But they were shocked as well that God would strike the king. And remember, this was a really, really good king. You know, he'd done so much for God's people and he protected them, he built them up, he provided for them. But in his pride, when he decided that he would do something, how do I put this? Something that even God didn't think was a good idea. You know, he was struck by God. And even that judgment surprised the priests, And so they rushed them out. And it surprised him as well because he was rushing out. And um, it says there, because the Lord has struck him. And verse 21, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. That judgment stuck on him. Uh, he, it never went away. Just that one act of pride caused him to be inflicted with this horrible disease, yes but also this horrible sign of judgment from God for the rest of his life, I don't know how you feel about that, it feels you know, wow, you know he was just rash for that moment uh, but it seems so serious, you know, God that would afflict him with this leprosy this horrible disease um, right in his temple and by the way, leprosy Uh, was not just something that disqualified you from hanging out with God's people, from going to the temple. It was essentially something that was considered impossible to cure in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not sure if you know this, you know, in the New Testament, when Jesus goes around and then he touches the lepers and then they get clean immediately, uh, that was considered such a miracle because well, I think practically speaking, if you had leprosy in the Old Testament, you just had to be separated and you just had to wait it out. Uh, essentially, you you stay with other lepers until you died. And if ever you were um, cleansed somehow, miraculously, and there were laws in the Old Testament, that said, and then therefore, you know, you you should then give thanks to God, you yeah, have to give all these offerings. There's actually no evidence of it actually ever happening except by m- miraculous means. Uh, I think one of the prophets uh, cured this commander, and it was like only God could have done this and so when Jesus in the New Testament he cured all these lepers, it was meant to be a sign that he was God. It was just such a, a miraculous thing. It was almost like curing death that that's the thing you know it was such um, uh, incurable miraculous thing for God to do if someone was cleansed of leprosy and therefore for this king to be inflicted with this kind of disease it's more serious than being inflicted like say with COVID or something like that it's even more serious than say even uh, uh, I don't know cancer because you know cancer you think of uh, you can still go for chemotherapy but it's it's like maybe COVID and cancer and leprosy. And, you know, it's, it's something that, that you need to realize that once you get it, you will never get rid of it at all. And that's what he got hit with right at that moment for the rest of his life. This king who was so good to his people, but now was judged by God because of his pride. And it says there, uh, being a leper lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord, meaning the temple. And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Verse twenty-two. Just to cap it off. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from the first to last, Isaiah the prophet, uh, the prophet the son of Amos wrote, and Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, he's a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So it mentions Isaiah, mentions Uzziah's death, mentions his son. So Isaiah is the same Isaiah as in Isaiah the prophet. And um, the famous call of Isaiah, where Isaiah sees God reigning in the temple, this is chapter six, is at the death of Uzziah. So when one king dies, you know, God gives him a vision of the ultimate king. When one king who was so good, but dies out of unfaithfulness, uh, God gives him a picture of this ever faithful king who is always on the throne. And um, so that's the first thing that we see in Isaiah. That's Isaiah chapter six, his son took over him, Jotham, the same way that he took over his father. And I guess, um, I don't know what I'm going to say about that. I think uh, it means that there is still that continuity of the kingdom. God is still faithful to the promises to put a king on the throne, even though, you know, the kings are unfaithful. You know, God still preserves the monarchy. God still preserves a kind of stability, through the provision of king. Uh, but finally, he dies a leper. You know, and, and, and just that statement, for they said he is a leper. You know, every time someone mentioned Uzziah, they didn't, they didn't talk about how he built those towers, he defeated the Philistines. They didn't talk about how he provided the military with everything they needed, the shields, the technology. They talked about his leprosy. It talked about that one mistake, that one time that he just crossed the line. And that's that's such a pity, that's so sad. It's so scary, <laughs> it's so scary. I mean, at the height of his success, he rebelled against God. And I guess that's kind of like the takeaway uh, lesson from this passage about his own relationship with God. Um, so in the first part, his uncle told him, Seek God and God will make you prosper. And he did that. But in the second section, he forsook God. You know, verse 16, he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. And when he was strong, he grew proud. And this happened after he was faithful, after he was uh, successful. And it means that uh, that disease of pride, that possibility of um, just losing sight of who God is, especially after you've served God and you followed God for so many days and for so long and after experienced it for real and God has used you for real, you know, it is still also a very real temptation to then turn away from that, to look away from that, to forsake God and to think that you are God because you're a king and you can, No one else can tell you what to do. And you are the one who calls the shots. Um, So at one level, I think that's a good application for people who have been Christians for a long time and who are very very faithful, very, very effective in ministry, who uh, really have been seeking God all your lives. And they say that, hey, don't take that for granted. Don't let pride kind of like, grow and seep into your life especially as you as you go into the later seasons of your life i think sometimes when you think of all the scandals unfortunately all the scandals when ministry scandals not just in it's not exclusive to christian ministry you know it happens in politics as well but it's so sad when it does happen in a christian context that when it happens to someone who has been faithful for so long it is even more damaging. It is even more embarrassing because at the end of the day, despite all the good things that that person has done, they'll say like the same, the same way they said say to Uzziah, you know, he is a leper. You know, he's a person who has been judged by God. He, 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 he was rebellious against God. And you know uh, coming into middle age, uh, well, well into middle age for me, you know, that's a real danger for me. Um, uh, you know, I think back of my younger days when everyone was on fire for God. And right now, um, it's, it's harder <laughs> to feel that way. It's easier to be cynical. It's so easier, much easier to justify my own sinfulness and to cover it up because no one will dare question me, that kind of thing. And it's a real, real danger, uh, not just to young Christians, but more so for those who are uh, longer time Christians the same way like Uzziah was. Uh, When he knew God for a long time, he turned his back against God and the consequences were even more dire. So that's on one level for us. But I think on a bigger level, it just shows that what we need is a king who will be completely faithful to God, completely dependent upon God. And maybe that king is not exactly the Uzziah type king. Because here you see, Uzziah was the kind of king who just became more and more and more and more successful throughout time. He just became more and more um, effective, more and more prosperous throughout time. And that then led to his pride. But actually, a faithful king may not look this successful, may not be this prosperous, but actually may be more and more dependent more and more humble, more and more obedient towards God. Because here, here is, is that, uh, the, the, the conflict that happens in the temple was between the king and the priest. You know, the king would not listen to the priest. The king would not be led by the priest. But here is therefore a king who I think this is an indication of a king who would not be led by God. And what we need therefore is a king who grows not just in this external... You know, um, gifting and effectiveness and faithfulness in this kind of fruitful fruitful way. You know, he, he was able to build all this infrastructure, but a king who is internally growing in dependence and love and heartfelt and you know, obedience before God. And in Jesus, you know, yes, he is now reigning in heaven, but actually, if you think of the way in which he ascends to his kingship, via the cross, actually, the direction was kind of like this. He started out, you know, popular. He started out with lots of followers. He started out doing all these miracles, and everyone wanted to listen to him and flock to him. But he ended up alone. And at the cross, everyone left him. And at the, at the cross, all his enemies overpowered him. You know, here Uzziah is overpowering all his enemies. Now here, all the enemies are overpowering him. But at the same time, at the cross where was where you see Jesus offering his own self up before God, taking all the judgment of God upon himself, you know, uh, but then therefore being crowned as king on the cross. You know, that's the kind of king that Jesus is, that God gives us. That's the kind of king who takes uh, kind of like our leprosy upon himself. You know, um, You know, Uzziah takes his own leprosy upon himself and then he dies a leper but jesus takes our disease takes our sins takes our scars upon himself and then he is made whole he's he is um um, he dies to show that you know this judgment really is real you know that's been dealt with but then he's raised again to show that god has forgiven us of our sins and made him righteous and made us righteous in him not, not the tightest connection, uh, but but hopefully you, you see where I'm going with this. You know, King Uzziah was the best case scenario, and he wasn't the kind of king that God wants us to have. And Jesus, whom we say is the best king, is 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 the most ideal king, the most king of kings actually was an anti to Uzziah. He did not grow in power and popularity. He grew in faithfulness and dependence and humility right up to the point of the cross. Um, yep, anything else? Uh, nope, I'll free. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wake up call. Uh, for those of us who've known you for a long time, help us to grow in this way, in this Jesus way of humility and dependence upon you. Help us not to be blind-sighted by the prosperity that does come from you, the blessing that does come from you, because that is something that ought to cause us to give you thanks and praise. But help us not, not to see that that's the ultimate thing that we are striving for. But what we want is to have our hearts and our lives changed uh, by Christ such that we are loving you more, we are listening to you more, and we are obedient to you more. And I guess, practically speaking, that means we're obedient towards one another more as well. You know, Uzziah would not listen to Azariah, but we want to be listening out to your people, listening out to your word more. Um, uh, we um, we don't uh, want to take for granted, you know, pride. I think I think it's there. I think, especially when we're successful, when we're blessed, it help us to spot those moments when we think too much of ourselves and help us always look at the cross, help us see how Jesus as kingship comes uh, to him uh, via his sacrifice. And so it means giving up, you know, giving up our lives, you know, uh, giving up our lives and sacrifice towards you rather than trying to build it up in our own eyes and build up our own pride and our own uh, self-worth, but actually to find it all in the sacrifice and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So thank you for Jesus, our ultimate King. Thank you that he is reigning right now. Help us to follow him and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that was today's very, very long and random and <laughs> very rusty um, daily Bible reading show looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Thank you for joining me. Take care and God bless. Goodbye.